Shabbat Shalom. Last week we began to look at the life of King Saul. And we began to look at his calling. He, that calling was true. It was real. It was authentic. And he wasn't just called, but we find that he's called for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. And he is anointed by Samuel the prophet. And he's not just anointed by Samuel the prophet. As he goes on, you find that he is actually anointed by the Ruach HaKodesh. The spirit of the living God was poured out upon Saul. I mean, you look at his life in every way. You look at his life, you realize it was completely authentic. His calling was authentic. The spirit that he possessed was truly the authentic spirit of God. God was with him. You think about these things. See, Saul didn't have to walk around and pretend for his brethren, for the Jewish brethren. He didn't have to walk around to establish himself pretending, oh, I'm spiritual. Look at how holy I am. Oh, I have this word and I have that word. He didn't need to do any of that. Because what he had was true. It was real. Where I'm going with this, that's what makes this story that we're looking at, that we began last week and we'll finish today, that's what makes this story so frightening. Because the fact that he had the truth, that he was under grace, he had the grace of God. You know, everybody during the day would look at King Saul And they would look at him and say, there's no question that this man is destined for greatness. Look at him. Look at how God is with him. He is destined. It's beyond just greatness. He is destined for eternal life. You think about that. Unfortunately, as we are going to see today, as alluded to even last week, this is not going to be the case Unfortunately for Saul, despite having the grace of God, despite embracing the grace of God, being under the grace of God, he is going to choose to come out from under that grace. And the loss is going to be catastrophic, as you're going to see. What we are going to cover today, I want you to pay very, very close attention to, because the principles, the concepts that are in this story, they are a prophetic warning for every one of you. They are a prophetic warning for me. This story, as I mentioned, it is crying out to us today. So with that said, let's begin by going to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. And this is what we read. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, just a little background to help you appreciate what's going on here. If you go back to the book of Exodus, okay, the children of Israel, you know that whole deal, that tribulation that they went through, God pouring out his wrath upon the Egyptians. It's a very troubling moment for Israel, They were oppressed with a double portion by the Egyptians. Well, God has mercy upon them. And what's he do? He brings them out of Egypt. They get, just as they get across the Red Sea, they turn around, they see their enemies drowning. This is the hand of God. And it's almost as once they turn back and to start to head into the wilderness, they come out of the pot into the frying pan. 
Because now they escape the Egyptians. Now what happens? Immediately as they come to the other part of the Red Sea, the, Am- the Amalekites attack them. King Amalek comes, against, comes up against Israel. God did not appreciate people attacking his nation, his chosen. And so as you get to Deuteronomy chapter 25, God gives an interesting command. It's a prophetic command. And that is when you come into the land, the land of promise, and I give you rest, do not forget to take care of business. You go back and you take care of Amalek. You go back and take him out. Blot out his name from under heaven. Now you fast forward to this time with King Saul, and what is Saul being commanded to do? He is being commanded to fulfill that prophecy. Fulfill the word of the Lord. Fulfill the command that was given in Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 25. So very, very powerful what Saul is being asked to do, to step up to do, to keep the Lord's command. And we continue on into verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. One thing that you need to make note of, special note of, because it pertains to the rest of today, is what is commanded right here. The command is to utterly... Everything that breathes among the Amalekites is to stop breathing. Total judgment has come. This is God's righteous judgment upon the Amalekites. So this is the command. Everything from man to donkey. Nothing is to survive. Moving on to verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lying. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Yehuda. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley, going on to verse 6. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, get down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. Now this is Saul. Pay close attention here. It says, For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. I just want to quickly point this out. If you follow Saul in what he's doing, there were righteous acts that he was committing. And everyone would look and go, oh, that fulfilling righteousness, this is beautiful. Just look at how he took the helm of this to commit righteousness because to spare the Canaanites was a righteous act because they showed Israel kindness. Kind of takes you back to the, the Rahab moment, right? As Joshua was bringing the children of Israel into the land in Jericho, Rahab, because she showed kindness, she denied and rejected her own people for the sake of Israel. And guess what? Her family was preserved. Everyone else died. It's one of those scenarios. This scenario, this type of scenario is unfolding again for the Kenites. And so Saul does this. He does righteousness. Verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Moving on to verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, You look at that, everything that was proclaimed here, sheep, oxen, lambs, it was all good. Why is it good? Because this is good in the eyes of God. It's only these things 
that you could actually sacrifice and offer to the Lord. You can't sacrifice swine. It's unclean. It's abominable. See, what was spared was only the good things. And these are good things in the eyes of God. And we're unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Recap, what was the command? Nothing was to be left breathing. From man to beast, everything was, gonna, was to be killed. How did they do? Well, they spared Agag for one. And on top of that, they spared all the sheep, the oxen, and lambs. All that was good. They spared these things. How does the Lord respond to these actions? Well, as we continue in verse 10, we find out. Now, the word of the Lord came to Shemuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. One thing that I can tell you with no reservation, you do not want to be the recipient on the other end of the statement. You do not. You do not want to be the person that the Lord looks at and says, I regret you. And let me tell you why. The last time we saw the Lord regretting people, the entire world was wiped out. He's going back to the flood. You go back to the flood. What did the Lord say before he wiped out the entire world? This is what is said. And the Lord was sorry. Now, interesting, and I did highlight this. You notice I highlighted regret and sorry. It's the same Hebrew word, nacham. Same exact Hebrew word. It means regret. It means sorry. But look at what it said. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved and heart. This proclamation came before the destruction of mankind, with the exception of eight people. Now I ask you, when the Lord steps up to the plate, and he proclaims that he greatly regrets that he has set up Saul as king, what is his future? He's a dead man. Because understand, what the Lord has just said is a proclamation of death against Saul. You feel the weight of this statement Very, very powerful. Now, as we continue in verse 10, the Lord's going to state, he's going to tell us why he regrets setting Saul as king. You know, it's one thing to appreciate the reality and the weightiness of the Lord's response. But why is the Lord responding this way? This is where we need to draw our attention to. What brought the Lord to this point? What brought him to this point to make this statement, to proclaim death against Saul? Well, this is what we're told. And I highlighted it. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Did you catch it? Because the Lord just defined what it means to turn your back on him and to walk in a completely opposite direction. How did he define that? Has not performed my commandments. It's the very definition of what it means to turn your back on God. Whereas inversely, what would, what would we say? is following the Lord. Well, if I'm to follow the Lord, I'm to walk in His commandments. In fact, the, the, the last verse in Psalm 85 tells us we're to walk in His footsteps. That's what we're commanded to. We're to walk in His footsteps. And I was immediately, you know, I'm putting this together and I was drawn to the, to the beach and all those pictures that you grew up seen if you grew up in a christian home like i did where you would see these footprints in the sand and they were the lord's footprints isn't it interesting that when you see the footprints in the sand what do you see 
You see feet. You see two feet going, and you see ten toes. Amazing. When you think about the concept of walking in the footsteps of the Lord, how did the Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Commandments, come down? They came down in two command, two, two stone tablets, and it was Ten Commandments. I mean, so you literally see, I mean, as you're looking in the sand, the footprints in the sand, the Lord's footprints, we are to walk in them. They are the commandments of the living God. That's what it means to follow him. Versus if I saw his footsteps and walk in them, but to turn from them and to walk in my own footsteps would be walking away, creating my own path, creating my own way, turning away from him. John offers some good commentary to this in his short epistle. But if we walk in the light, let me, I'm going to stop. If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light, you think about light, you all those verses start coming to your mind. Psalm 119, 105, thy word, meaning his commandments, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. Proverbs 6, 23, the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. You think about these things. This is what light is. The light is the commandments of God. He is the light of the world. He was the Torah made flesh. He was the word made flesh. And so, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I want you to understand this statement. It says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, guess what? You're part of the body. You're part of the body of the Messiah, Yeshua. And the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach cleanses us from all sin. Put it together. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Yeshua covers you. Very, very powerful. The very same idea, the very same concept that is being conveyed here in our story. See, unfortunately, Saul chose to not walk in the light to not keep the Lord's commandments. He turned away from following the Lord, and it is going to come at a very, very steep price. Continuing on in verse 11. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, this is going back to the reality. Samuel loved Saul. He loved him with all of his heart, and it grieved him. Verse 12. So when uh, Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Shaul, it was told... Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So here's the deal. Saul goes on the mission. He does slaughter the Amalekites with the small exception of Agag and all the sheep and all the good stuff. And then for the first time, he gets to see the prophet Samuel. And what does he do? He is overjoyed. He is overjoyed. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth as he engages Samuel in his introduction, in his greeting, is the joy of the Lord is bubbling out of him. He professes, I have kept the commandment of the Lord. It's like him going up, brother, I have done the will of the Lord. And it's exciting. See, when you walk in the commandments of God and you do the will of God, it's exciting. It gets us excited. It makes us feel good. I want you to understand, Saul believed he was doing well. 
This was his whole concept. And the joy of the Lord is coming out of him. And he proclaims, I have kept the commandment of the Lord. Samuel, as we're going to continue, he has a little bit different perspective on the matter. In verse 14, But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? See, because Samuel was very clear on the command that everything was to be destroyed, nothing was to be left breathing, nothing. And Samuel's like, oh really, you, you've kept the commandment of God, Saul, then why do I hear the sheep and why do I hear the oxen? If you supposedly kept the commandment of God, why am I hearing these things? Well, Saul's going to go on to explain himself. And this is what he says. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now we get to the heart of the matter. Why did they spare these things? It was to honor the Lord. Put this into context. The Lord gave them victory. Go back to the historical context and understand, Israel never denounced their God. Their faith in their God was strong. They believed in Him. And the fact that He gave them victory, they wanted to honor Him. Saul wanted to keep back this. It's all about worshiping him and honoring the Lord. Keep in mind, this is not for them. You understand that? They did not keep these things back so they could have an extra delicious meal. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with honoring God. Well, how does Samuel respond to this situation? We go on to verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. Modern day, should it, right? It? You say nothing, you're done. Quiet. And when a prophet of God tells you to do that, it, it may, it's going to make you take a few steps back. And this is what it does to Saul. Because he goes on, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king? Over Israel, verse 18. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners. I want to be very clear because when atheists like to read this passage, they like to make the people of God look murderous and horrible. You do not understand what was uh, commanded upon Israel to take care of the Amalekites was judgment of the living God. It was a righteous judgment. They were a sinful and wicked nation to be destroyed. Very clear. So the Lord sent you on a mission, said, Go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? <laughs> Samuel's perspective, obviously, is vastly different than Saul's, right? To keep back the best of the things even to the degree he calls it evil. Here, Saul has come out and said, I've kept the commandment of the Lord. I've done good. And we're honoring the Lord. And Samuel's response is, you have done evil. Evil. Now, one would think after this that Saul, would, that's it. he would drop to his knees. The prophet of God has spoken. He would drop to his knees, cry out to the God of Israel for forgiveness, for not following the commandment of the Lord. It's not what he does. He goes on to justify his actions. Because Samuel, 
he must be confused about really what they were doing and what they're trying to accomplish. Look at how Saul goes on to justify and further explain himself. In 1 Samuel 15, 20, And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I want to point out, this is the second time, even after rebuke, Saul comes back and says, You don't understand. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And he goes on, verse 21, But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Did you catch that? Things, out of his own mouth, he says, yes, things which should have been utterly destroyed, but we didn't destroy that because we reserved them. We took of the best things for one reason. I'm going to beat this down. Keep beating home the point here. It was all about honoring the Lord. Not for them, not so that they could go back and have herds and flocks. Only one reason in their mind, one motive in their heart, to honor the Lord. I mean, how can that be a bad thing, right? How can that be a bad thing? Well, Samuel's going to go on to tell Saul how that can be a bad thing as we go on to verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. It was interesting. This has, well, this has something to do with today's message, but every morning I drive in. You like little confirmations. We, we as believers in Yeshua, we like to have little confirmations that, hey, you know, I'm doing the right thing or whatever. I'm driving in this morning, and you cannot make this stuff up. I turn on my phone, and I turn on Pandora, and I like, I like the Keith Green channel. I'm kind of showing my age here. But I like the Keith Green the first song that came on was, Behold, it is better to obey than sacrifice. That, that was just crazy. I just share that with you uh, to go, wow, praise the Lord for that. But anyway, so Samuel shares with Saul a little lesson, a very, very important lesson to us. He cuts to the chase and gets to the problem with Saul's reasoning, how he's reasoning this whole thing. The problem is, is that they sought to honor the Lord, but here we go. What is the problem? It was to the detriment of a plain commandment of the living God. This is the problem. And this was what Saul wasn't getting. Now, here's where things get really scary. Because if we go to the New Testament, we do find there's a parallel there. Uh, there are parallel other places as well, but this one is especially special. Uh, going to Matthew chapter 7, Yeshua, he makes a reference to uh, a particular group of believers. Believers who call upon his name, and yet this particular group are in fact following the same path as King Saul. And uh, more than that, we actually find that they carry the very same perspective of King Saul. In other words, what I'm telling you, it is an identical situation. And I want to take a look at this. Because this is going to help you appreciate the reality that this story of King Saul is prophetic. It is prophetic in nature and it is speaking to us today. Going to Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. This is Yeshua. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. First thing I want to mention is they are calling him by name. They know who he is. They're declaring him, Lord, Lord. Second thing, which is just an interesting thing to note, is that it doesn't record it once. It doesn't say, Lord. It says, Lord, Lord. You go back and read our story, and what Saul does is he goes out and he proclaims twice, not once, twice, I have kept the commandment of the Lord. He does that twice. So here we read, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You want the secret of entering into eternal life? Yeshua just gave it to you. The only people that are going to enter are only those who do the will of the Father. You must do the will of the Father. In other words, you must walk in His commandments. Not walk away creating your own commandments. Getting, attempting to get the Lord to follow your footsteps. You are to walk in His footsteps. And you'll see this, that what I'm saying is that the will of the Father in Yeshua's context and what he's saying here is referring to his commandments. You will see this will bear it out as we continue. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, does he say some? He does not say some. He doesn't say just a few. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? I need to stop here. What did Saul do? Saul prophesied and it was authentic it wasn't make-believe wasn't fiction wasn't fabricated it was real it was completely authentic and here these people yeshua makes a note that these people are saying hey we've prophesied in your name we've cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name understand none of these things are accomplished without the anointing of the holy spirit without you being under the grace of god the demons are not subject to you if you are not written in the lamb's book of life read acts 19 i'm going to do you any good to speak to them because you will have no power you understand the, the the descriptions that are given here are authentic these are holy spirit inspired there's a move there's a power of god moving about prophecy real prophecy it's not man it is only the holy spirit that's speaking that's what moves so these things that we see here they're holy spirit inspired they're the work of the holy spirit i mean this is it's absolutely amazing everything about these people they would appear they're going to be saved I mean, this is the characteristics. They would appear that they're going to be saved. But listen how Yeshua responds to them. And it is a response that is a mere reflection of what we just saw Saul get. Look at what happens here. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why were they commanded to depart from him? It's because they were practicing lawlessness. What is the antithesis to lawlessness? lawfully walking in the Torah of the Lord. See, because that's the will of the Lord. But these people were practicing lawlessness. These believers, they believed that they were saved. They believed that they were pleasing the Lord. What did they do? They, they did the exact same thing that Saul did. They created a false reality. They created a false reality around them that they were here when in fact they're way over here. 
It's the exact same thing that Saul did. He was living, his perception was completely opposite, polar opposite of Samuel's. And you look at what Yeshua declares here, this is the very thing that Samuel just declared to Saul. This is the very same thing. You cannot honor the Lord to the detriment of God's commandments. It will not happen, I promise you. And we cannot delude ourselves. I want you to consider the following parables. This is kind of playing off of last week and some of the things that we looked at. Number one, Saul was called by the Lord. And as I said last week, every believer that comes out and confesses Yeshua, and they want to repent, and they want to serve him, every one of them has been supernaturally called. Because Yeshua says, no one comes into me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It was a calling. That's not disputable. So here you see this parallel. And these people here in Matthew 7 that we just looked at, there is no question that they were called. Look at the works that they do, and they're professing with their mouth, Lord, Lord. They're calling upon Yeshua. First parallel. Second parallel, Saul's purpose in being called, one of his primary purposes in supernaturally being called, was to save. I ask you, what do you think one of the expectations of you coming into the faith of the Messiah, Yeshua, being a child of the new covenant, having the Ruach HaKodesh, having Mayim Chaim in your heart, living water, it's supposed to come out. And what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to give life. One of the expectations when you become a bondservant of Yeshua is that you will give life to others through His name, through the gospel. Where to be? What does Yeshua say to the disciples? Turns to his disciples. You are the salt and the light of the earth. You're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's that's that's the reality of our calling. We're supposed to bring salvation. What was Saul supposed to do? For Israel. He was supposed to bring salvation. That's, that's the reality. Not in and of himself, let's be clear, but through God. Thirdly, Saul was anointed of the Lord. And we know this, he legitimately prophesied. You think about believers, there are many believers that get the anointing, and one of the things they do is they, they show the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they're authentic. These are real moves of the power of God, whether it's wisdom or knowledge, whether it's gifts of of, of uh, uh, word, a uh, word of knowledge, whether it's prophecy or tongues, whatever the case may be, when it's authentic, it's authentic. It's not contrived. I'm not talking about people who pre- pretend. I'm talking about authentic, a real move of the Spirit. Now, you know, in, in regard to what we covered in Matthew 7, there's one thing I just want to circle back on. You might be thinking, well, Daniel, it, there's, there's something that doesn't really make sense How could these men in Matthew 7 do all these things? At the end, they're lost, okay? Only to have Yeshua tell them that he never knew them. You know, some people have come up to me and they said, well, the fact that Yeshua never knew them means that all of these things that they did, well, they weren't real. They didn't really, they didn't do it through the power of God. You do not cast out demons without the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not subject to you. You do not prophesy in the Lord's name, truly, without an authentic move of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, the question remains is, well, then why wouldn't Yeshua know them? Why does he say he never knew them? And I really want you to understand that passage and understand the context of the passage. And I'm going to show you how important it is to know the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation. So that when you read passages like we read in Matthew 7, you understand it perfectly. How the Lord could say, I never knew you. Yet, all of these things were completely authentic, just as we see with Saul. Let me take you to Ezekiel 33, verse 13. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, I want to stop. Does he say the wicked? He's not referring to the wicked. He's referring to believers, those who trust in him, those who are righteous, period. He's referring to those who are saved. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, But he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity. There's the fall. And here's the fall of King Saul. This is one of the things, this is one of the the behind-the-scenes issues that are going down. Is that a man can have anointing, can do things. This is what turns true prophets into false prophets. So what I always tell you is that false prophets don't start out out of false prophet camp. They come out of the gate, I just, yeah, I just graduated false prophet camp. They don't do that. They're prophets of God speaking in the name of the Lord, and the people see that the things that they say come to pass. But then what happens going on, that they start to look at themselves and go, man, I'm really good at this. And uh, when I say things, they just happen. And so the eyes come off of God, the fear comes off of God, and the focus comes on self and self-glorification, self-gratification, self-motivation. And they come off and they just start saying things. Well, this is going to happen because it's happened before when I spoke. Rather than focusing on the Lord. keeping See, this everything that we're talking about here, all it's two different realms. Eyes on the Lord, they come down here on earth. You start looking at the things around you on earth, you will change your perspective. You will lose it. And you will trust in your own righteousness. So here we have a man trusting in his own righteousness and committing iniquity. If he does this, None of his righteous works shall be remembered. He was righteous, and what he was doing was legitimate. But if he falls and begins to trust in his own righteousness, you are erased. You are erased from existence. You're what is called in Exodus 32, 32. You are blotted out of the book of the living. You are blotted out of the book of life. It is as though you never existed you kind of picking up why Yeshua would say, I never knew you. Because it's following the very pattern of what he spoke before. Same, same, same. He would do the church well to heed these lessons, these warnings that are set forth in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, not just the story of Saul. Old Testament, New Testament, it's time that the church start heeding these warnings because I can tell you something right now. The modern day church in this generation, she is practicing things, she is doing things all to the honor and glory of Yeshua and they are doing them to the detriment of a plain commandment of the living God. This is where you look at the church through these eyes, through the eyes of God and you find, oh God help us, they're on the path of Saul. This is the path that they're walking and it's about time somebody starts saying something. Starts blowing the shofar for the sake of the people, for the sake of salvation, for the sake of truth. You know, apparently today, 
Despite what the Torah says, despite what the law says, despite what is found in the prophets, despite what is found in the New Testament, the church has decided to embrace things that are completely abominable in the sight of God. And here's the scary part. They're declaring these things as praiseworthy and honoring the Lord. This is, this is frightening. It's extremely frightening because I've seen this before. I've seen King Saul do the same thing. You think about sexual immorality today, not in the world, in the church. It is out of control. It's insane. You have pastors actually counseling people, and I only say this because it's come to my ears, pastors counseling married couples, it's better that you get a divorce. You will have peace in your home. It's better that you have the peace of the Lord in your home that you than trying to work this out. It's not working. Cannot make that up. You have situations now where you have pastors and uh, uh, pastoresses, I guess you call them shepherdesses, that are holding positions as shepherds and pastors and teachers that have decided to have a relationship or get married to someone of the same sex. And they will tell you it is a gift of the Holy Spirit and that they are honoring God. They are pleasing the Lord because they've chosen to have a monogamous relationship with that individual. We are in trouble because it's a lie. It's false reality that we're painting. It's deception. It's the path of King Saul. What about food laws? And I just put this one in here because we just covered it recently. No longer matters what we eat. No longer matters what goes into the temple of God, which we are. Despite God making in his word a clear distinction between that which is unclean and that which is clean. That which is abominable and that which is good. Makes a clear distinction. Now, we don't make a distinction. In fact, you'll find people that will just happily grab the ham after they're told. Well, God's actually commanded us to, to eat specific things and, and to shun the others. They'll raise the ham and say, well, praise the Lord. He has set me free. I'm at liberty. And eat things which are abominable. The, the very same thing I see Saul doing. Going forth, giving pain homage and glory. The Lord gave him victory over the Amalekites. And so therefore, he's going to honor the Lord the way he sees fit to the detriment of the commandment of God. And we're doing the same thing in the church today. Exact same thing. We're going to honor the Lord by eating things which are abominable to him. Tell me how that works. Tell me how that's going to work for you at the end of days if you know better. See, Saul knew better. And there are a lot of believers out there that do know better. I'm not referring to those that are ignorant, that they don't know that they're displeasing the Lord. Make the distinction. Don't put words in my mouth. What about the holidays of the Lord? I mean, somebody needs to explain to me how it is I grew up in Christian church and I never heard of any of the holidays that are in this book. Never. Never heard of Passover. Never a sermon on Passover. Not one. Never heard of Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah, uh, the, the, the Feast of Trumpets. Never. I know, what is that? What is that? What about Yom Kippur? I never heard the word Yom Kippurim in my life. Day of Atonement? Never heard of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. Every single one of those is a holiday in this book. Holidays, sanctified, holy days that God has called his people 
to gather in honor of him. When it came to the secular holidays, things with completely pagan origins, I knew everything about them. I knew all about Rudolph and Santa Claus and the sleigh. I knew about hanging the stockings and putting the Christmas lights up. I knew all about the Easter bunny and looking for Easter baskets and hunting for Easter eggs. I knew all of that completely ignorant into what God had commandment, what God, what pleased the Lord. You look at things like Christmas and Easter, monuments in Christendom today, these are the two holiest days of the year. Never mind the fact that neither of them can be found in Scripture. Go from Genesis to Revelation. You will not find Christmas or Ishtar. You will not find it. What you will find is Passover. You will find Yom Kippurim. You will find Sukkot. You will find all of these days. This is what you will find. And what's that? Here's the red flag. You think about these things just for a second. It should have dawned on me. Shame on me. It should have dawned on me that I'm keeping these things in honor of the Lord, to His glory, to His name, and the rest of the world is right with me. I'm doing the same things that people that don't even identify with Christ, that don't identify at all with Jesus, we're doing the exact same thing on the exact same day. In fact, the whole nation shuts down on Christmas. The whole nation shuts down on Easter. It's it's a red flag. How is it? I mean, God has called us out to be sanctified. And the things that we do, they're not interested. You know what's funny? Isn't it interesting? I don't see these same people coming to the prayer meetings. I don't see these same people coming to church Shabbat after Shabbat. Fasting. None of this stuff has happened. This is a red flag. And yet, today, the church is going out and they're taking these holidays and they're saying, well, what, the way they're doing it and what it means, and then I say this because this is what has been told to me, but the way they're doing it, it's different. It's more meaningful to me. I do this to honor the Lord. Okay, are you doing it to the detriment of a plain commandment in Scripture? If that's the case, you are on the path of King Saul. And this isn't popular. I understand that. And I understand the sensitivity of uh, the strong traditional natures of these holidays, growing up in your family and having all your family. I grew up in that. I, I get that. But you know what? We, we need to not care. And in the sense of we need to care what God says. We're talking salvation here. We're talking practicing righteousness. We're talking about trusting in the Lord with all our heart, soul, and strength. Amen? What about Shabbat? Falls under holiday. <laughs> that one's scary. You have Easter, we celebrate the resurrection, then you have Sunday. Okay, first of all, you'll find nowhere that Sunday is the Sabbath. It is the seventh day. It is the Shabbat. That is the Sabbath. You look on the calendar, even just any calendar, pick it up, look at the seventh day, it's Saturday. It's a Shabbat. But guess what we've done? Because of the resurrection of the Lord, and is it beautiful? Is it salvation? My faith hinges on the resurrection of the Lord, period. But do I make the executive decision like Saul? to honor the Lord, and I'm just going to start making Sunday holy to the detriment of a plain commandment of God. Do you see the deception? Don't, don't think you can't fall into the deception. You read King Saul, and it should strike terror into your hearts when you look at the church and see all the things that they're doing. They're on the path of King Saul. I'm telling you. 
Because the word tells me, when I pick up this word, what you're doing is not what is in here. It's contrary. It's to the detriment of plain commandments of God. And this is right in the Decalogue. This is right in the Ten Commandments. And we're actually the only commandment that starts, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Only commandment starts with Zachor, to remember. The very day that we've forgotten. Unbelievable. There is a call, and I, and I know this to be true. There is a call. The Holy Spirit is moving despite all the wickedness and filth that is happening. There's a call of righteousness. And first and foremost, to the church. There's a call to get out of Babylon. Run for your life. In Revelation 18, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. I'm telling you, when you go to the Word, the Word of God is the mercy of God. It's the grace of God giving you insight, giving you wisdom to prevent you from being deceived. If it were possible, even the elect would be deceived, Yeshua says. That's how rampant, that's how cunning the deception is. It seems like it's the right thing to do. Worshiping on Sunday seems like the right thing to do because of the resurrection. But it's contrary to what God commanded. God does not contradict himself. I can tell you that right now. Getting back to our story in verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. In other words, don't honor the Lord in the way that you think is fit. Just do what he says. It's very simple. Do what he says. That's what he's asking. Our human nature and our hearts of flesh do not coincide with that. Your heart of flesh does not want to submit to God. So you have to do what Paul says. You discipline your body. You bring it under subjection. Subjection to who? The living God. To his word. Moving on to verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, stubbornness, will not heed, will not listen to the counsel of God. It will not heed the wisdom. It doesn't. There's no room for stubbornness in the faith. This is not a good characteristic to carry. You do not want to have the very thing that Saul possessed. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And this is frightening, but it's a prevailing theme all throughout Scripture. I promise you this. You turn your back on the Lord and create your own path in your own way, you will die in it. You reject the Lord, he will reject you. All throughout Scripture, you read the Torah, you get into the Chronicles, you get everywhere. You see, this is a prevailing theme. Forsake, you forsook the Lord, he will forsake you. Uh, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you this is the promise this is the guarantee so saul's going to respond to samuel's rebuke and this is what he says in verse 24 then saul said to samuel i have sinned well finally i mean after multiple times of samuel just telling him how it is finally saul says i have sinned how did he sin for i transgressed the commandment of the lord and your words oh my look at what we are about to read he gives the reason for his actions, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
That is amazing. What does this tell you about this story? The people pressured Saul. The people wanted to honor Lord in this manner. And they put the heat on him and said, this is what we need to do. The Lord has given us victory. We need to honor him. Pay him homage. And they put the pressure on so hot. Saul actually says, I feared the people. And whose voice did he obey? The people's. He obeyed the people's voice. Well, isn't that interesting? Because the Apostle Paul explains the very same scenario in his second letter to Timothy. Same exact situation. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, which is to say the voice of the Lord, which is to say His word. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Now I ask you, if you go back to the story, how did Saul actually come to fruition as king? The people asked for him. They exalted him. They lifted him up. They wanted him as king. The exact same scenario that what, what, what um, Paul is talking about here. And so we're told the people are going to push in. The people are going to put the pressure on. And so they're going to put up teachers and they will turn their ears away from, oh, isn't that interesting, truth. Psalm 19, your Torah is truth, your law is truth, all your commandments are truth. You read Psalm 119, it's just over and over, it's this repetition of showing you what the commandments of the Lord are. But there's going to time come that the people will refuse it. Exactly how we see in our story. The story in King Saul, the children of Israel, they refused the truth. They knew the commandment. And they will be turned aside to fables. Deception. Total deception. We succumb to deception into honoring God. See, the whole concept here, the people that Paul is talking about here, this is not the world. This is not unbelievers. He's talking about the people in the church, in the body of Yeshua. Going back to the story in verse 25. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Moving to verse 27. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor of yours, who is better than you. He was stripped. He was stripped of the grace of God, of what God had given him, and now it was going to come upon David, king, as we know, King David. Dropping down to verse 34. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. It's very important that you read that very carefully. Samuel is not going to see his face anymore until the day of his death, which is one of the most controversial, most interesting stories in all of Scripture. And I, I point this out because we're going to look at this in, in a moment. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel again. Just in case you missed it the first time, the Lord regrets him. It's proclaimed a death sentence against him. Moving to chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. 
So here we see Samuel's call. He's going to go, you need to go anoint uh, King David. What does Samuel do? Well, he's a man of God. He does exactly what the Lord commands him. And he goes and anoints David. Now, after this happens, something very, very important is record, re, uh, recorded in regard to King Saul. And this is what is recorded in verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord trouble him. Now, this goes back to what we were talking about last week. What is the spirit of the living God? It is proof. When the spirit comes upon you, we are told over and over again in the New Testament, is the seal of salvation. It's the proof of your inheritance. His proof and his seal was stripped. It was taken from him. And, you know, it's this kind of talk that drives... The once saved, always saved crowd. Absolutely crazy. What happens to Saul? God departs from him. And basically, at this point in the story, it's over. From here on out, uh, things are going to spiral out of control for Saul. And we're not going to get into all these things. But he actually it's actually noted that he ends up becoming, though loving David at the front, he actually becomes an enemy of David, becomes an enemy of of the Lord. This is just total collapse. Saul was supposed to hold the line. He was not supposed to compromise. But unfortunately, we find that Saul allowed life circumstances, the influence of other people in his life to dictate his theology. And this is what frightens me today because people today are so easily, their theologies are so easily dictated. Unfortunately, it's not from here. It's coming from the influence of the people. And their eyes, they peer out and they look at all these people and all the things they're doing and they think, well, that's okay. They're fine. They look healthy. Things are good. They're blessed. I don't see the problem. It starts dictating their theology. Well, I want to cut to the chase, uh, wrapping things up today. I want to cut to the chase and show you how King Saul, how his life ended. This is pretty crazy. In 1 Samuel 28, verse 3. Now, Samuel had died The prophet Samuel, he's dead, okay? And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. Now, why would Saul put the mediums and spiritists out of the land? Because there was not to be any of them in the land of Israel. A good thing. This was a good thing. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. Moving on to verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. Does this sound familiar? Saul's already been here and done that. We read this last week. He already experienced this. Here we go again. This is deja vu. He was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, very important, he inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. You want to talk about the worst thing in the world that you could ever possibly imagine happening to you? Is that when you call upon the Lord, he does not hear you. What hope do you have? You have none. You have no hope. The Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by the Urim. This is the Urim Vatumim, those oracle stones that sat behind the priest's uh, breastplate of righteousness. Basically, the Urim Vatumim, this is basically, it was the, the Kohanim, it was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. So what he's saying here is, the Lord's not answering by dreams, not answering him by the high priest or by the prophets. Nobody. Is responding. Everything's silent for him. Moving on to verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Oh, in fact, there is a woman 
who is a medium at Endor. Oh my goodness, what is the problem with this? Here we go again. How is Saul responding to this situation? Does he break down in repentance? He does not. It's lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. You are not to call on a medium. Look at what Torah says. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. So what does Saul do? He breaks Torah. He goes dead set against what God has commanded. Yet once again, making an executive decision. And he calls the medium, because why does he want this medium? He wants to raise Samuel up from the dead so that he can speak to him. He wants this medium to conduct a seance so that he can converse with the spirit of Samuel. She does this. When he calls this woman from Endor, she raises the spirit of Samuel. And look at what happens. I know this sounds wild, but it's true. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed. For the Philistines make war against me. God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Saul's used to this relationship that he had with Samuel. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? That is scary. When a prophet of the Lord just reveals to you, you are the enemy of the Lord. Trembling. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. So all of these things, your total collapse, your destruction, the fact that you are considered the enemy of the Lord, this is all because you didn't obey the voice of the Lord. Nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Where is Samuel? Six feet under the ground. He just told him you're going to die. And guess what? It happens exactly how Samuel said it. Him and his sons were killed. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Here's what I want you to take away from this. If you walk in the path of King Saul, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The mercy of God, though your authentic walk was real and you habitated with God and you were in relationship, do not think that it will not be stripped from you. And so that you're one of those ones in Matthew 7 at the end of days going, Lord, Lord, what are you talking about? Everything I did was for you. And he's going to respond, no, you honored me in your own way. You sought to honor me to the detriment of the commandment of God against the Torah. I want to share with you a passage to show you that the mercy of the Lord was truly taken from Saul. And this can happen. We need to understand these things. We go to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 12. This is the Lord speaking to David. David, you're not going to build the, t- the, 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 the temple. Your son's going to build it. And so the Lord says, He, Solomon, shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. Plain scripture telling you, the Lord took his mercy and his grace that he had. Saul had it. He had the grace of the Lord, and he stripped it from him. Because he chose to honor the Lord according to his own desires. His feelings. 
There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. King David in Psalm 103, he tells us the following, those who are going to possess the mercy of God. We're almost done here. Psalm 119, or 103, verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord. See, we're talking about mercy, grace. I want to know about this. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, uh, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Isn't that interesting? Look at the characteristics of those, people, certain people are going to possess specific characteristics, and those characteristics will dictate whether or not they continue in the grace of God. Number one, I want to underline this, those who fear Him. Those who keep His covenant and those who do His commandments. These are the people that will maintain, that will endure and persevere to the end, and they will experience the grace of God and the final rest of God. Charles Spurgeon has a great commentary that really hits home with what we're talking about. Faith which refuses to obey the commandments of the Savior is a mere pretense and will never save the soul. Never. This is scriptural. I mean, you look at James 1.22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Isn't that interesting that James captivates, he identifies, he hones in on the fact of how we hear but we don't do the gap in between. There's great deception. There's great deception. Our heart is going to get in the mix. Our hearts of flesh. Hearts that are desperately wicked. According to Jeremiah 17. Who can know it? There's deception in play. The only way you expose that deception is drawing near to Yeshua. And getting into his word. Having the Holy Spirit bear witness to the words that he has spoken. That is the only way you're going to escape deception. Don't think that you're going to figure it out. And don't think that you're sharp enough or smart enough to see these things. I'm going to close today with the warning. And we're going to go to the Torah and we're going to pray. There's a warning in the Torah. There's multiple warnings. I can show you multiple. I'm just going to show you one. There's a warning in the Torah. It begins in 28 with the blessings and the curses of God. And the Lord says, if you do these things, if you keep these things, blessed you will be and blessed when you go out. He goes through all these blessings if you keep his commandments. But if you don't keep his commandments, curse, curse, curse. You're going to be cursed in every way. At the end of this, there's a warning. Because there's deception in regard to this. James was picking up on this deception in his first chapter in his book. There's deception involved. Look at what it says. And Deuteronomy 29, and so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. In other words, you're going to have this thing that oh, I understand that I did it, but God's a God of grace. He's fine. He's not going to care. It's, it's fine. I'm just going to keep doing this. You are deceived. And it could be any sin, idolatry, immorality. Pick your sin. Whatever it is, do not lie to yourself. Do not deceive yourself that you can continue to go down that path and think that you will not face the curse of God. That's the path of Saul. And verse 20, the Lord will not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn hot against that man. And every curse that is written in this book 
would settle on him and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. It's the very future of King Saul. That was his future. His name was blotted out. He was in, but he's taken out. 